Grab your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And this morning, I want to talk about a place for Jesus. Everybody good? I don't hear any pages turn in, so I'm just wondering this morning. I know you got electronics. I'm still kind of old school. And I have not yet got used to you opening your phone and scrolling to where you're supposed to be or picking it out, but still like those Bibles. Thank you, Gloria, for holding that up. There's nothing like a Bible, pages, hearing those pages turn uh, for a preacher this morning. Man, it's good to see you, as I said earlier. I'm glad you're here this morning on this Christmas Eve. I hope you're excited about what this uh, weekend is all about for us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. This is uh, an opportunity annually for us to make a big deal about Jesus' birth. Now, as Christians and as uh, good church members, we make a big deal about Jesus every single week, and we ought to do that, and we should do that, but uh, there's something about that season of Christmas that causes us, forces us to pause and just reflect and think about Jesus, and so that's what we're doing this morning. And so I want to talk to, talk to you about uh, making a place for Jesus. If you got your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Luke 2. We're going to read that in just a moment, but this really is one of the most exciting times of the year. And so you've got to ask yourself, to, you've got to kind of step back and just ask the question of why. Why is this season so exciting? Why is it so uh, popular? Why is there so much uh, activity around this season of the year? What is it that makes Christmas exciting? Now, for some people, the thing that's exciting for them or what makes this season exciting is the opportunity to gather with others. You know, we probably, uh, you're probably like me, you've been to multiple Christmas parties. You've got your, your personal business Christmas party. You've got your spouse's Christmas business party. You've got your small group. You've got your neighborhood. I mean, all kinds of Christmas parties you've been to already. Amen? I mean, you, you're cooking out. You're caked out. You, you, you've, just, you've already put on the Christmas 15. Maybe that's something we need to come up with as far as terminology because... There's a reason we all look to working out in January. It's because of the parties we go to in December. Others, we look at the Christmas season, and it's the traditions. It's, it's gathering with the family. It's, uh, it's lighting the Christmas tree. It's baking cookies. It's doing all of those traditional type things. It's putting lights on the Christmas house. Or the Christmas house. Christmas lights on the house. I, I, I've, I've pushed back against that for years, Right? I'm a Scrooge when it comes to those things because I've always given my family the excuse of if I put them up, it just means I've got to take them back down, right? I'm not going to be... <laughs> someone is my kindred out here. And so I'm not going to be that person that leaves them up all year long. And so I just kind of looked at it and kind of passed it off like, man, it's not worth all the trouble to put it up for three or four weeks and just have to take it down. But last year I gave in. I, I put some lights on the, the railing of our front porch. This year I expanded or actually I changed the, the format up rather than putting just on the banister. I put it on the poles. And next year, who knows what's going to be. I may be, um, I may be the guy from Christmas vacation that just goes crazy. Traditions, right? We like Christmas because of the traditions. Some people like Christmas. It's they see the excitement in, in the sense of gifts. There's something about receiving and giving that special gift to someone you love, whether it's a friend or a relative or a neighbor. I mean, you just you, you love seeing their, their face light up because you've blessed them and given them such a wonderful present. Economically, we know that what makes Christmas exciting is the giving of gifts, right? 
Do you know that uh, this Christmas season, it's estimated that over $1 trillion will be spent on Christmas, giving and receiving of gifts. An entire industry, as we know, has been built up around the giving of gifts on Christmas. Several years ago, I shared with you an article back in December of 2016 where Forbes estimated that U.S. adults plan to spend that year an average of $419 on Christmas per person, right? Each individual is going to spend $419 on Christmas. Well, that, that number is more than doubled in seven years. This year, the National Retail Federation is estimated that Americans will spend an average of, listen, $997.13 on Christmas. You're sitting there saying, man, I have exceeded that by three times that. I don't know if that's you or not. Or maybe you're way below that. But that's what they're saying. The average expense per person in America this year will be just under $1,000. Now, we look at that number and we say, how can the world could it have more than doubled? Well, obviously, some of that's inflation, but probably not all of it. And so today, all around our country, there are homes where there are Christmas trees in those homes where you look at it and you can't see the Christmas tree for all the presents that are in front of it. Mama comes out and she's just wrapped some new presents and she's literally got to make room for the new presents to be put down. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I hope that's my house tomorrow morning. And I hope my name's on a lot of those gifts. But that's where we're at. So some people look at Christmas and they see the excitement from the gifts that are exchanged. You know, why do we give gifts on Christmas? We give gifts, first and foremost, because we've been given a gift. We've been given a gift in Jesus Christ from God our Father. And so this morning, I hope that on Christmas morning and even today, that as we look at our trees and, and we see the gifts that we have purchased and wrapped and the ones we're expecting tomorrow and the ones we will give and receive, I hope that all of that, there's room, there's a place for Jesus in our hearts and in our minds, even under our trees. Look with me in Luke chapter 2, and I want us to pick up in verse 1 and read... How Jesus came into this world physically. Luke says in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke here records for us the history surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke records the details that God sovereignly orchestrated so that the Son of Man could be born in Bethlehem and be born in fulfillment of the prophecies given by Jeremiah and Micah. It tells us that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. We talk about this relationship, this, this, uh, this relational component every Christmas season. We hopefully understand that this was basically in our vernacular, the, the meaning that they were engaged. Matthew points out in his gospel that the marriage was not yet consummated before the baby was born. And so during this betrothal period, this couple 
from a Hebraic standpoint, would many times operate and act as if they were already married, even though they were not married. And so it's very likely that Mary had moved into Joseph and his father's home, and she was living there in this inner period between being not married and being married. And so perhaps that's, that's the best explanation of understanding why she would have went down to Bethlehem with Joseph. They lived in Nazareth, way up in the north, in the Galilee area. Bethlehem's down in the south, just outside of Jerusalem, in the Judea area. And so here is a man, here is a woman who were betrothed to one another, committed to one another, yet not married and not having consummated that marriage. Here we have a woman who's pregnant. And so while in Bethlehem, Luke tells us in verse 6 that the time came for her to give birth. Ladies, can I get an amen this morning that this is the understatement of understatements, right? That the time came for her to give birth. Man, I remember the day, night, when my first child was beginning to make her progress toward entering this world physically and and all of the things that went around with that, this was way back in, in um, January of 2009. Kara and I had just moved from western Kentucky down to northwest Alabama. I had been the pastor of the church that I was at for just a couple of weeks. Haley was still scheduled to be born like five weeks after this. She wasn't, uh, we were not expecting her till the first week of March. And here it is, the end of January. And I'm asleep on the couch, as is most cases, on a Saturday night. It's about 10.30 at night. I think I'd been watching a UFC match, and that was on the TV. And, and I get this, this, this yell from the bedroom saying, James, James, come in here. And, and I kind of step up, or stand up and in a stupor walk into the bedroom. I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And, and Kara gives me this, this frightful uh, look on her face and says, my water just broke. I'm like, huh? <laughs> How's that possible? We got like a month, right? There's no way. It just, it's fine. You're, you're okay. And she's like, no, my water just broke. I'm like, no, no. So we're arguing about this. And finally she's like, look, look. And I look down at the floor and you can't argue with wet carpet. You guys have never had a child yet. I just want you to know when they say the water breaks, they mean what they say there, right? So we had nothing planned. There was nothing in our house ready for that. I mean, we're still unpacking because we just moved to Alabama from Kentucky. This is our first home that we've purchased. We're still kind of getting acclimated to everything. And so all of a sudden, we are thrust in to, to a scenario where we have no preparation for us. We call our friends there. We'd gotten to know real well through the search process, and, and they live close by. And the wife came over and helped Kara pack a bag real quick, or basically packed a bag for us because I, I, was, I, I didn't have a clue. Like, what do you take to the hospital when your baby's being born? I don't know. Like, socket set? I, I don't know what's going on there, right? So she comes over, helps us get a bag. Karen and I jump in the car, and about Mach 3, we're running down Avalon Avenue, which is the main drag in Muscle Shoals, and we're headed to the hospital because it was time for the baby to be born. There was an understatement here in Luke's text about this. Jesus was coming. Luke omits a whole lot of the craziness that surely was surrounded this great event. He, he tells us that Mary gave birth to the son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. 
which is nothing more than a feeding trough. A couple years ago, some of us got to go to Israel when we got to walk into the place where many people believe Jesus would have been born and laid in that manger. And so I just want you to know this morning, it is not those little wooden things that we like to build to say this is what a manger is. No, it was carved out of the rock face. Rick, I see you're shaking your head. You know exactly what we're looking at. It's a rock face that was carved out, and so it was made into a feeding trough where more than likely those shepherds would have brought their animals and they would have fed inside of that area. It speaks of a lowly state. It speaks of humble beginnings. And all of this was because there was no place for them in the end. Now, as we read this statement, we should not understand it as a lack of a hotel room, but rather a lack of a suitable place for Mary to give birth. You see, this was the time of the census. People would have been traveling back into Bethlehem from out of town, and there was a lot of hustle and bustle in there. And the last thing you want as a pregnant woman when you're about to give birth is people around you that you don't know. So they found the safest and quietest place that they could find, and she gave birth to Jesus Christ. The irony of the most important event in history taking place in the manger should not be glossed over by us today. It reveals how God elevates the lowly and elevates the humble and rejects the proud and the mighty of this world. So the people in Bethlehem that night, think about this, just picture. They had no idea that any of this was happening. They had no concept, no clarity of what Jesus was undergoing as he was being birthed into this world. The king of kings, the creator of all that there is, who was now, for the last nine months, been inside a mother's womb, is about to make his entrance into this world. And they are oblivious to all of it in Bethlehem. They had no idea. You see, if they had known, surely someone would have found a place for him. Truth is, most people then and most people during the life and ministry of Jesus misunderstood him. Fast forward a, a few years, a few verses in Luke chapter two, two and you come to uh, the story of Jesus when he's 12 years old. His family go back to Jerusalem for a festival, and they spend the time there in Jerusalem. And, and when they're finished, Luke tells us that they get in the caravan, the people from Nazareth, and they head back north where they're from. And it's not till a couple days later, Luke tells us, that Mary realizes we, we don't have Jesus, right? She had her own home alone experience. Not saying Kevin, she's saying Jesus. And she comes to Joseph and she says, Joseph, we forgot Jesus. And he's like, what are you talking about? He, he surely is with his cousins. He's hanging out with John. You know, they're talking about what they're going to do in the future, uh, probably. No, no, no. She says, we don't have him. We, we've lost, we've forgotten, we've misplaced the Son of God. And so in a tizzy, they head off back going to Jerusalem and they search for a couple days the city of Jerusalem and all of a sudden they come to where Jesus is and he finds, they find him in the temple. And Luke tells us that Jesus is confounding the wise, that he's been spending these days talking to the priests about the word of God. And they're dumbfounded by it. They begin to wonder and begin to ask questions like, how do you know this? What is this all about? How in the world could you at such a young age, having no pedigree, no formal education like we have, how do you know these things? He's confounding the wise. Surely one of those men, one of those priests would have looked at him and said, boy, I need to know your name. What's your name? To which Jesus probably would have said something like this. Well, that's complicated. 
You, you see, it's complicated because on my mama's side, my name is Yeshua. It's Jesus. But on my daddy's side, I'm known as Emmanuel, God with us. A man would have looked at Jesus with a perplexed look and said, boy, how old are you? I just don't understand this. And Jesus would have said, well, on my mama's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my daddy's side, it's not how old I am. I am before time and space and matter. Man says, son, where are you from? Well, my mama's side. I'm from Bethlehem. It's where I was born, which means the house of bread because I am the bread of God. But on my daddy's side, it's, it's not, again, where I'm from, it's what's from me. I am the one by whom and through whom everything is from. So the man says, where are you going then? He says, oh, again, on my mama's side, I'm going to a cross and I'm going to a grave. But on my daddy's side, I'm going to the throne of all thrones and I'm going to rule over everything that there is. Jesus was misunderstood, and Jesus was missed many times in his life, even at his very beginning. As he entered into this world, people missed him. During his life and ministry, people missed him. During his death and even his resurrection, people missed him. This morning, all across Powhatan, all throughout Virginia, across the states of this great country called America, and around the world, people will be celebrating Christmas, but they will miss Jesus because there's no place for him. So this morning, on this Christmas Eve, let's all, every one of us, find a place for Jesus in our lives. From this passage, I want to share with you two action points about a place for Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to see. First action point is this. Recognize Jesus as the Savior. You see, the residents and the guests of Bethlehem that night did not recognize the Savior. They had no idea that the young pregnant lady who had rode in on the donkey with Joseph was carrying the Creator and the Savior. For them, she was just another person. They were just another couple. She was pregnant, but there was a lot of other people pregnant as well. And so that was just the norm. It was just everyday life. They made no uh, big deal about it. They, they, they recognized it in no special way. They didn't leap for joy as Jesus entered that town like John the Baptist did. That's a beautiful picture early in the Gospel of Luke where Mary goes and talks to Elizabeth, her relative, and as she walks in the room, John, in the womb of Elizabeth, the Bible tells us, leap for joy because he'd come into the presence of the king. The residents of Bethlehem were not doing that on this day. Instead, they were carrying on with their lives. You see, it was business as usual. Life was busy for them. They had to make a living. They had to provide for their families. They had to get to the game. They had shopping to do. They even had religious activities to attend. I mean, it was just like you and I. We're going about life. We're doing the things of life, and there's no recognition of the Savior. Too busy, too preoccupied by the things of their lives to recognize Jesus as the Savior. Some perhaps wanted nothing to do with the Savior. They weren't looking for the Savior because they didn't want a Savior. And the same is true for us this morning. This morning you came in busy. I've even had conversations this morning. And you've talked about, and I understand because I'm in the same boat. You've talked about all of the things you need to do over the next couple days. Here's what you need to do this morning. More than anything else, recognize that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior. Experience of those in Bethlehem was not unique to them. 
We all have a tendency to miss and misunderstand Jesus. Today, I want to encourage us to slow down and intentionally look at the Savior. Recognize Jesus as the one and only Savior of the world. He is the God who came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so we must make a place for Jesus. Here's the second action point. Not just recognize Jesus as the Savior. You need to embrace Jesus as your Savior. See, it's one thing to recognize Jesus. It's quite another to acknowledge him as your Savior. We may say, Jesus, yes, came into this world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He gave his life there on the cross. His blood was shed so that people could be forgiven. He is the Savior of the world. And you recognize that. And you acknowledge that. It's a totally different thing to say. Jesus was born into this world as a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for sin. He shed his blood so that forgiveness could be given. He was resurrected. He ascended. He promised his coming back. I know him as Savior, but he's also my Savior. That's totally different. We've got to embrace Jesus as our Savior, as your Savior. Mary clearly understood the difference. You see, she knew the baby she carried was the Savior. She had heard the words of Gabriel, who declared the boy's name to be Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Yeshua. The Lord saves. We, we've read those passages over the last two Sundays. And so G Mary understood this. She recognized this. She recognized him as the Savior. But she also understood that knowing Jesus was the Savior was not enough. It's not the same as making him my Savior. She understood that she had to appropriate that tr truth to her own life. She had to acknowledge Jesus as her own Savior. And so in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, she says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Not in God the Savior or in God someone else's Savior. Mary says, the one that I'm going to bear in my body, the one I'm going to give birth to, is the one who created me and he's the one who will redeem me. He is my Savior. Man, I love the Christmas songs that, that magnify Mary and, and, the, and her belief and faith in Jesus Christ as not just God, but God the Savior for her. Christmas songs all speak of Jesus. They declare that he is the Savior of the world, but is he this morning your Savior? Have you embraced him as that? Have you made a place for Jesus? Like Mary, we must recognize the birth of Jesus being no ordinary event. Millions of babies are born every single day, but the birth of Jesus Christ was different. Mary recognized that she was giving birth to the Savior of the world, but she did more than that. She recognized that he would be her Savior. She acknowledged that he had the power to redeem her, to forgive her sin. She acknowledged that he alone had the power to, to take her sin away and to change her life. You see, Mary, contrary to what some denominations may tend, you, tend to believe, Mary was not perfect. Mary was not holy. Mary needed a redeemer just like you and I. God chose her. God gave favor to her, not because she earned it, not because she deserved it, but simply because in his grace and in his mercy, he used her. But she needed a redeemer too. And that redeemer was her own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she embraced him as such. So what was true for Mary then is true for us today. 
Finding a place for Jesus demands that we recognize Jesus as the Savior, and it demands that we embrace him as my Savior. And the good news of great joy that the angel declared to the shepherds was that in Bethlehem, the Savior had been born into the world. And today, the good news is still the good news of great joy that there has been a Savior has been, who has been born into this world. Therefore, Paul says in Romans 10, 13, 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's all because of what Jesus did on that evening as he came into this world, being born of a virgin. And so we all must place our faith in Jesus. We all must embrace him as our Savior so that we can experience forgiveness of sin. Come into a relationship with the God who created us for himself. We must embrace Jesus. Christmas really is the most exciting time of the year. And what makes Christmas so exciting is the gift. I've been joking with my kids uh, my youngest, she's uh, eight. She's in third grade, and uh, all of our, I guess all of our elementary schools do this. I know Powhatan Elementary does, but they always have a, I guess it's a Christmas shop. I forget what it's called, but they can go and purchase gifts for their families. And, um, and so she, she's not really good at secrets. She's almost given me, she's given me almost every clue you can imagine. I still don't really know what she got me, but she's been trying so hard to keep it to herself, but she wants me to have this gift that I guess I'm going to get tonight or tomorrow morning. I don't know when she's giving it to me. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I know it's not going to be, I mean, it's not, it's not really what I would like, right? I've been joking with like, did you get me a ghost trolling motor? Did you get me two power poles? Lithium batteries? Uh, so I give this litany of things that way out of her uh, price range, right? I mean, they're out of my price range as well. That's why I'm like joking with her. So if I wake up tomorrow morning and I look under the Christmas tree and there is a Lawrence ghost trolling motor from Hadley Faith Taylor, there truly is a Christmas miracle, right? So we've been having fun about this over the last month, really. We love to give gifts. We love to receive gifts. Here's the best gift we've all been given. Jesus. Jesus. That's not just religious speak. That's not cliche. That's not just Southern Baptist lingo. No, that's the legit, real deal. The best gift you've been given is God the Son whose name is Jesus Christ. So this morning, the word of God in this season calls us to make a place for Jesus. Not a place in your living room. We're not carving out a space like we would kind of put a pet and say, here you are, Jesus, this is where you are. It's not a space on the mantle where we, like maybe other religions, would just put another idol up there and say, all right, Jesus, we're going to put you alongside every other thing that's important in my life. No, the place that we have to give for Jesus is at the top of everything in our life. He's on the throne of our lives because he is king of kings and lord of lords starts with him being savior savior of your life the redeemer of your sin this morning or i should say in the morning or whenever you open gifts some of you i know will open tonight some of you in the morning whatever your tradition is you would never leave the most expensive the most important gift left unwrapped right Sometimes the most expensive and the most important is not in a big package. Sometimes it's little bitty, right? You ladies, I don't know if you're getting jewelry tomorrow or what from your husband or your boyfriend or whoever, your father. I don't know what you're getting, but if you're getting jewelry, that's expensive, important stuff, right? I don't know if some of you are getting engaged tomorrow. 
literally. I don't know, but it, I guess it could happen. Um, well, I hope it didn't spill the beans on anybody because I literally don't know. Um, but if you get that, I mean, I've, I've done that 20-something years ago with Kara. I remember that thing. I've got a really expensive package, and it's in a really small box that I'm carrying and trying to hide in my pocket the whole night, right? So I understand that. But you, would, you never leave that package unwrapped because it's important to you. It's expensive. It's a big deal. This morning, the best gift that you've ever been given is Jesus Christ. You know what he wants you to do? Unwrap it and receive it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Jesus came to do. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Who's lost? You and I. We're all dead in our sins. We're all lost and separated from God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, as we think about Christmas and the gift of Christmas, it is not the things that are underneath your tree. It is Jesus Christ, and he wants to redeem your life. He wants to transform your life. He wants to spend all of eternity with you. Will you make a place for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for that beautiful and familiar verse that I just quoted. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did you give, Father? You gave your son. Why did you give your son? You gave your son so that whoever would believe on him, believe in him, faith into him, trust in what he did on the cross through the death, burial, and resurrection, if we would believe on that, we could have eternal life. We could be redeemed. It's a gift. Father, I pray this morning that all of us would cherish that gift. Father, I pray that those who have yet to unwrap that gift, that they would receive it into their life, that they would unwrap it, and, Lord, they would allow Jesus to transform them from the inside out. I'm so grateful that what we're talking about this morning is not religion, it's not tradition, it's not philosophy, it's not ideology, it's none of that. It is a true relationship with the God who created, as Paul says in Colossians 1, us for himself. And so I pray this morning for all of those who have not yet made a place for Jesus, may today be the day of salvation for them. And Lord, as we, as Christians, the rest of us, celebrate the beautiful gift of Jesus over this weekend, may we never lose sight in the hustle and bustle of what it's all about. Help us to cherish you. Help us to worship you. Help us to celebrate and even to tell others about this wonderful gift in Jesus Christ. Fathers, we move into a time of response. We do so because this is what we should do. When we set under the teaching of the word of God, our first thing to do is respond in faith and in obedience. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would help us to do just that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.